Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, and we'll read that in just a minute. But while you're turning there, I, I want, we're continuing in this series called Fresh Fruit. And over the next several weeks, over the past several weeks, and over the next several weeks to come, we're working through the spirit or the fruit of the spirit that's found in Galatians chapter 5, where Paul writes this. He says, he says but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, the word is forbearance at the NIV or some of the other translations, but the patience is the word. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We've said this a couple times that what we're talking about when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit is that it's the outward expression of an inward reality, right? It's the outward expression, it's the, the fruit is the outward realities of the Holy Spirit's work within us. And so we've talked about that, and the first week we talked about it. You heard from Pastor Jeff, he, our senior pastor from our Franklin campus, and periodically we get to hear from him at, at across all of our campuses. And this is what he says. He said that the, the, the fruit of the spirit of love is, is that, that love appears first because it is the greatest, the greatest of the qualities. It most clearly reflects the character of God. And then last week we opened and we talked about joy and this kind of the second Second, it comes to a close second, and we talk about this, that it comes close second to love because rejoicing in God's salvation it shows that a Christian's affections and his understanding, their understanding is rightly placed in God's will and his purpose. And if you've missed either of those, I invite you on our app or on our website, you can catch up and, and, and go back and listen to those. They both uh, will just kind of help you catch up to where we are this week as we, go to, as we turn to peace as the third fruit in the fruit of the Spirit, in the list that's there, there you know, in the... One of the most gruesome battles in the 20th century, one of the most gruesome wars in the specific battle inside of a war was the siege of Sarajevo. It, it happened in the mid-1990s. It was over 1,400 days long, this, this battle that happened in the, in the city of Sarajevo. And if you look at the images, they're, they're really terrifying. The images that are there, the images of, of this battle that happened in the city, they're terrifying as these two groups clashed against each other. In the midst of the carnage, carnage that was this battle, there's one image that stands out, and this, this image here, of a celloist from the, the orchestra there in the city of Sarajevo. I'm not going to try to say his name because it's very ick, and I don't know how to say it necessarily, but it, so anyway, this guy right here, I think it's Verdan is his first name. Uh, we'll call him V. Anyway, brokenhearted by the war, each day, as bombs were terrorizing and tearing up his town and his city, he would, rather than going to the shelters with his family and his friends, he would go to the center of the city and set up his cello here on the ruins of the city and play Mozart and Beethoven, these beautiful pieces of music in the backdrop of a war-ravaged city. It, it was his protest, it was his cry for peace in the, in the midst of lives and buildings and, and all of these things that were broken around him, in the midst of the chaos and the conflict, this was his way of saying, there is peace. And today as we tackle this subject of peace, I know that many of you struggle with finding peace. And the reason I know it is because I've had conversations with you in the past several weeks. 
And the reason I know it is because, not only because of conversations that I've had, but because I live in the same places that you live and deal with the same things that you deal with. And I have the same struggles right alongside you with those feelings of chaos and turmoil and all the things that crowd in on our lives. And so I have sit in the same, in the thick of the struggles that you sit in and the desire for peace in my home and in my, in my life and my mind and my, my thoughts and all of those different things. And, and, and it's the cry of peace that happens all around us. It's the cry of peace that nations have when they're in war. It's the cry for peace when in, in the midst of social unrest that we see in our cities. There's this cries for peace inside of homes where marriages are falling apart or, or where kids are, are running in rebellion and, and parents don't know what to do with, with that rebellion that they see in their children. There's cries for peace inside the hearts of students who are overwhelmed with schedules and the desire to, mat, to, to measure up. It's a cry in the hearts of so many for peace, where there's inner turmoil for bad decisions that you've made that have affected you personally, or maybe they're bad decisions that other people have made that have left scars inside of your heart and inside of your thoughts. And there's a cry for peace. And this morning, as we, as we approach this subject, I believe that throughout our world and our culture and the people and the friends, maybe even, even in our own lives, that there's a place that we, there's confusion on where do we find peace. And, and I, I want us to hear from God's word from Paul, the, the, the pastor and missionary that had experienced his fair share of conflict and, and yet was peaceful in the midst of that. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 33, it says this, that for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And so rather than going to the world, rather than going to our culture, rather than going to the myriad of things that that we go to for peace, I believe that going to God's word, because God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace, I believe that we can find what we long for deeply in our hearts by turning to his word. And if you have that, uh, that passage, we'll read verse 3 from Isaiah 26. It says this, it says, you, meaning God, he says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, because they trust in you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for all that has happened so far this morning as we celebrate baptism, as we've sung songs that celebrate the peace that is your name being spoken over us that brings peace because you are the peacemaker. And Father, we believe your word and it says that you're not a God of disorder, but you're the God of peace. And so we come to you seeking what our hearts long for and what we believe can only be found in you. We pray that you would move in this moment as we gather here today to celebrate your great grace. And you would draw men to yourself. That those who hear your words would, would respond in putting their faith in you and their trust in you. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen. If you have your worship guide on the on one side there, there's four things that we're going to cover as we talk about this peace, thing, things that I think are, are important for us to understand. And we're going to begin with the promise of peace. There's a promise of peace that we find in God's word. And this promise of peace comes from Christ's deep concern for us to personally experience true peace in our lives. The promise of peace comes from Christ's deep concern for us to experience true peace in our lives. And you go to, to John chapter 16, verse 
32 and 33, it says this, a time is coming. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, a time is coming. In fact, a time, it has come when you will be scattered, and each of you to his own home, and you will leave me alone, and yet I will not be alone, for the Father will be with me. And verse 33 says this, I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What's happening in this passage is Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this, this really beginning in John chapter 14 through the end of John chapter 16 here is what's called the upper room discourse. And it's a really intimate moment that Jesus is having with the disciples. This is, if you follow along, this is lots of different things that you'll, that you'll think back and remember of, of Jesus and the story and his, his time with the disciples comes from this little, this moment really with the disciples in this upper room. He's having this conversation, and it really, is, it, it really is incredible because on the backside here of this conversation, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to go pray, and he's going to be arrested. And the next time that he talks to the disciples, these disciples that he's talking to in verse 32 and 33 here, the next time that he'll talk to them is on the other side of the resurrection. And that's just a few days away, but, but truly it's some of the darkest days that these 11 disciples will ever experience. And one of the first things that Jesus says in this upper room discourse in, in John chapter 14, he tells them, he says, don't, be, don't lose heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then in 16, in chapter 16 here, he's coming back to around to this, this idea of not letting your heart be troubled. And it's this deep concern that Christ has for the disciples and by extension for us, for our hearts to have peace, for them not to be in trouble, to have that peace that Paul describes as beyond understanding, that surpasses understanding in Philippians chapter 4. And you, can, you and I can be encouraged because the concern that Christ has for the disciples, he also has for us. Christ cares deeply about the peace, and the, one of the ways that we see that is by this warning that he gives us about troubles that we'll experience. See, in, in verse 33, it says, I've told you these things that you may have peace, that in me you may have peace, because in this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The, this, this passage, it tells us right here in the passage at the end of this really important conversation, he's not pulling any punches. He's telling them, you're going to experience trouble. You're going to experience trouble. And that word, the, the, the word that he uses there describes what the, the trouble that's described there is this, is pressure and anguish and distress. It's the little things that just kind of get at you on a daily basis. It's not always the big troubles. It's the little things, the pressure, the anguish, the distress of being running late, the troubles of, of not having something that you thought that you had when you got to the place that you were going and you needed that one thing. It's just the little troubles, but it... It also is those big troubles, and we all know those troubles. We have them. We have relational troubles. We have economic troubles, financial troubles that, uh, that come along all of us. I'm, I'm sure that those, some of you maybe don't experience economic troubles, and if you don't, I need to have a conversation about your tithing later. I'm just joking. I have to I cast a joke. It's not funny, I know. Thanks. We have job troubles. We have car troubles. Right, we have, we have those health troubles, whether they're physical or mental, emotional health troubles, whatever they are, we have, we have these irksome things, these anguish and pressure that comes in. And what Jesus says, he says, I've, I've told you these things. In verse 4 of chapter 16, he says, I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that you've been warned about them. I didn't tell you from the beginning because I was with you, but now you're, I'm going to be gone and I need you to know this. 
We talked about this last week, but it's, it's good for us to be reminded that, that because the, the problem is that we do forget that we're going to experience trouble. And one of the things that sidelines our peace so often, it sidelines our joy just as the same we talked about last week, it sidelines peace is because we forget that we live in a world that is broken by sin and we're going to experience trouble. But when we forget that, when we forget it, then we get sidelined by the fact that we've experienced sin. But he's reminding us that in the midst of it, like, oh, God told me we were going to experience these things. So I can take heart in knowing his grace has reminded me, he's warned me about it. Because he wants me to experience peace. And that trouble that we experience, that promise of trouble goes back way beyond where Jesus tells the disciples in John chapter 16. It goes all the way back to the third chapter in this whole Bible. Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God's good and perfect design by eating the fruit of the tree that they were told not to eat. And in that moment, trouble entered our world. We can trace all of that relational strife, all of that physical struggle where our bodies begin to break down and, 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 and we experience trouble and health and all, there's rebellion. All of those things can be traced back to that moment. So we have to hold these two things in tandem. The reality that we are going to face trouble, this promise that we're going to face trouble. And on the same hand, or on the other hand, the promise that God speaks and tells us that we'll have peace. Peace that's not momentary, peace that's not situational, but everlasting and foundational to who we are because of Christ. And as a search, as we search for peace, we, we understand that Christ has promised peace. But where, we, where do we find peace is the question that we have to ask next. And I believe that Christ tells us very clearly that that peace is found in him because he is the person if you're following along, the next line there is that he's the person of peace. We have the promise of peace and the person of peace. If you, maybe some of you have these moments and, and that you can think back and remember of moments in your life that were really peaceful. There's one that just comes to mind when I think about that is when I was young, I was probably third or fourth grade, is that my dad and his company always had this crawfish bowl. I'm from South Louisiana. That's part of the culture down there. What you use for fishing, I eat on a regular basis. It's really awesome. And so we had this crawfish bowl. It happened every year. It was, it was great. And I, I remember it, this one particular one after everybody left the crawfish bowl. It was on a, a piece of property of this farm that, that was a good friend of ours. And everybody left. And, and a couple of families stayed around that had long relationships. And the dads went to the store and we got some ice cream. And we sat under these pecan trees out on this farm on this late spring afternoon and as the, as the sun set. And I remember it for some reason as being one of the most peaceful moments in my whole life. Now on my best day, I cannot recreate that moment. I, I could go back to Mr. JP's property. I could sit under those same pecan trees and it would not do the same thing. But the reality is that I don't have to recreate that moment to find peace because peace is not found in a moment in a place that's found in a person, and his name is Jesus. Christ says, he gives us this promise, he says peace is going to be found in him. Verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. We run to all kinds of different things, 
all kinds of different things to find peace. And we're not unlike the disciples. The disciples did the same things. The disciples' worlds were literally shattered when Jesus was hung on a cross and they ran. He told them what they were going to do. They were going to run and scared and go back to their homes. They were literally shattered because they believed that peace was going to come because Jesus was going to bring military and political peace for the people of God. And then he was hung on a cross and those dreams that they had died as he, died, as he was hung on that cross. And the reality is we do the same thing every four years as we think that this individual that we vote into the office is going to bring peace to our country or peace to our lives. And over and over and over again in our attempts to return the peace that, we, that was put in our hearts in, in, in the, the Garden of Eden, we think by voting this individual or that individual will find peace, but it's never happened, not once, not once. And yet the election cycle is going to happen again and we're going to lose our minds thinking if we just vote the right person, we'll have peace. But peace is not in the person that we can vote into an office. It's in the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We do it not only by thinking that it will happen politically or militarily. We think that it can happen intellectually. The disciples did the same thing. If you go to, if you go to chapter 16, they, they tell us in, in, in verse 29, Jesus is talking to them. And he says, now they say, now we see clearly. Because the way that he explains, he says, now we see clearly you're not using figures of speech. Now we know that you're who you say you are. You, we don't have to ask you questions anymore. And immediately he comes back and he says, listen, you think that you know. But in just hours from now, you're going to run. You think that you know, but just hours from now, you're going to run and you're going to abandon me. And, and honestly, we think maybe it's, maybe some of us do the same thing. We think if we can just wrap our minds around it, then, then there'll be peace. If we can just wrap our minds around the world and wrap, wrap our minds around what's happening around us or who Jesus is, if we can just wrap our minds around it. Einstein thought the same thing. Listen, he says, peace cannot be kept by force. It can only be achieved by understanding. But Jesus says, you think that you know and in the moment pieces shattered and they ran. James and John, they thought it was going to happen because of a position. They pleaded with Jesus on the side and said, hey, Jesus, can we be number one and number two in your kingdom when it comes? Because they had a skewed view of what was, ha- what was going to happen. But we do the same thing when we think if we can just reach this position of power, if we can just get to this place, if I can just get this thing to happen in my life, then I'll have peace. And it's not just those things. There's so many other things. We think that if we just have enough time, there'll be peace. If we just have enough, if we just have the right relationships, maybe it's, Maybe it's actual relationships, friendships, maybe it's relationship with the opposite sex, that if you think if you just have the right relationships, there'll be peace. Maybe it's work success that you think will bring peace, or recreation, relaxation. Maybe it's drugs and alcohol that you think is going to bring the peace that your heart longs for. But Jesus says that it's not ever going to be found in any of those things. It's only going to be found in him. He says, in me. Peace that we long for, that we're looking for, is found in the person, and his name is Jesus. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, verse 14. He says, for he himself is our peace. The peace of God is ours in Christ by grace through faith. When we put our faith in him, we experience the peace that he's promised. And I, I love the... I love the fact that what happens even in this passage is the grace that he predicts, as he sadly predicts, that they're going to abandon him. But he promises that he would still be their peace. 
And maybe you think that maybe you're in a place right now where you're like, yeah, T, I hear you, but I've already gone too far. And, and I'm telling you that you haven't. Because the peace of Christ is not based on how far you've gone or haven't gone. It's based on the person that is providing the peace. And he's done everything that needs to be done for you to have peace in, heart, in your heart, the peace that you long for. By laying his life down on the cross for you. And the peace is a person. It's the, he's the, the person is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And the gospel, the gospel, and it's... And this is the gospel, and it's our peace, and it's a powerful peace. If you're taking notes, that's the third thing, that the power of peace. What is the power of peace? What does it mean? Is in verse 33, he says, take heart. He tells, the, he tells the disciples to take heart. He says, take heart. In this world, you'll have trouble. So what does it mean when he says take heart? And what he means is to be encouraged. He says to be of good cheer, to be courage. Take courage. And the power of peace is courage to remain confident and sure and steadfast in the promise of peace and in the person of peace, even in the, more, in the greatest storms and trials of our lives. He says, take heart. The power of peace is not seen in these clear, in these, is not seen clearly in some tranquil state of meditation or those calm app, maybe you and LeBron can have some peace for a moment in the calm app. But I'm telling you, peace is not tranquility. It's the peace that we have is peace in the middle of even the darkest moments and the darkest storms. It's peace that is seen in those places that we can look in, in stories of of the early church and, and church history. In, in 1555, there was a, a gentleman by the name of Nicholas Ridley who was burned at the stake for his faith in Christ. Because, of he, because he believed in Christ and because he was not going to recant that belief and that, that trust in Christ, he was literally burned at the stake. And Ridley, on the night before he, was, he, he would lose his life, his brother offered to stay with him in the prison and he says, no, I'm fine, I'm going to go to bed and sleep very very soundly tonight because I know the peace that comes in the person of Jesus Christ who is my Lord and Savior and I will meet him and be in his everlasting arms by this time tomorrow. The peace that's way beyond the circumstances that we experience in our day-to-day lives. The peace that is in the darkest moments. We know that there's rest in him and it's access to that peace and what we've said every week and we're going to continue to say every week the access to the peace that is beyond our understanding comes by the power of the indwelling spirit within us what gives us the power of peace to take heart and courageously face all of the situations that we face what's going to give us that peace is the helper that Jesus promises us in John chapter 14, as he's having this conversation with the disciples, he says, I'm going to go to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send one after me. He's going to be a helper, an advocate. He's going to be the spirit of truth, and he's going to be with you, and he's going to be in you. And so when we talk about the power of peace is, is this power, the peace that's in trouble, because the peace is a relationship with God, and because the spirit is within us, giving us the peace inside of us that we can't find outside of us. 
And we've said it again, it's the fruit of the Spirit is peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And it's the outworking of an indwelling Spirit. It's, it's the same thing that we talk about even as we're baptized, as Jalen was baptized this morning. It's what happened here was not a moment of salvation. The moment he trusted Christ at Young Life Camp this summer on May the 25th or whatever date, 7th, May the 27th, that's the moment that God rescued. What happened here was an outward expression of an already inward reality. That the Spirit of God lives inside of him. And what he's telling us to the people who were here is that I'm following Jesus. And Jesus transformed my life. And he's given me peace that is beyond understanding. Because he's inside of me. And greater and more and more that peace becomes evident in our lives as we follow him. The access is through the through the power of the Spirit dwelling in us, but it's also through minds that are steadfast and trusting in Him. In Isaiah, the passage that we begin with, Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says that you, meaning Jesus, God, Isaiah says you will keep, you, God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. You will keep them in perfect peace. You will do the work to keep them in perfect peace because their minds are steadfast there's no way that we can experience the power of the peace of God that's promised in the person of Jesus unless we remain steadfast in our faith we should experience we should expect nothing we should expect no peace if we waffle and we think that and we don't remain steadfast in that faith and that steadfastness is again not even of our own power he's given us everything that we need to live the life of godliness that he's called us to by the power of the spirit that he's put inside of us access is first by the power of the spirit and secondly by a mind that is steadfast and trusting in him and the way that we foster that steadfast mind is through opening up his word and spending time with him on a daily basis there is literally no way there's literally no way that we can expect to experience the power of peace that's promised if we're not spending time with god in his word and likewise if we're not spending time with him in prayers he's invited us in matthew 11 he invites us all of us come to me you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, is what he says. He invites us to come and to bring our burdens to him, and, and he will give us rest. And so if we want to experience peace, we've got to spend time in his word. We must spend time in his prayer. And it's not a duty. It's the calling to spend time with the king of the universe, the one who is offering peace to us. We spend time in worship. As we take our eyes off of him, this fosters that, that, the experience and that power of peace. As we take our eyes off of ourselves for a moment and put them on him in worship, we experience that power of peace and obedience. When we walk in obedience to him, Jesus says that if you love me, then you obey my commands. And again, in the same way, we should never expect to experience the peace that God promises us if we're walking in disobedience to his word. 
And some of us truly, there's, there's so many places right now, the, the turmoil that's inside of your lives, and it's not always this. I don't think it's always that there's disobedience, but there should be a time in our lives whenever we are experiencing that lack of peace where we should ask ourselves, we should do the inward hard work and say, God, is there something inside of me? Have, am I walking in some kind of disobedience to what you've called me to that's causing this kind of turmoil inside of my heart? I don't believe it's always that. Very often we don't act like, we don't, we don't even think about it. And we need to have those conversations. Like, God, is there, is, there, is there disobedience that's causing this kind, of, this kind of turmoil and lack of peace that you say that you promised? One of the other ways is by living in community with others and serving others. Sometimes the peace that I need is found in the people that are around me as they remind me. Some of you have gone through incredible challenges sickness-wise, have walked through cancer and, and the people that are around you in moments where really it feels like it's spinning out of control. The people that God has surrounded you with have been the presence of his peace with you. We can't walk alone. We've got to be with people. We've got to live life together. And sometimes serving others is a place where we find that peace, where we experience the power of peace as we serve and give our lives to others and sharing the joy of what Christ has done within us with others. That's how we experience the power of peace. The last thing as we kind of wrap this up is the reminder of the price of peace. If you have your worship guide, that's the last of the things I want to kind of explore is the price of peace, that Christ leaves the conversation with this clear and final word that he gives us peace. That he paid the price for that peace. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation, the trials, the troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What does he mean by overcome the world? What, is, what did he overcome? It means that he conquered sin and death. He conquered trials and troubles and struggles and, and pressure and the anguish he promised that, that he promised that we experience he defeated them by his work on the cross he conquered them and overcame and he not only that he defeated sin and death and the devil and he he overcame those things and to overcome sin and death and the trials and the trouble that we experience Christ had to undergo the cross and the price of peace was paid on the cross price of our peace was paid for on the cross of Christ. He laid down his life that we could have peace. The punishment that we deserved was laid on him. And by his life being laid down, by his stripes, by his wounding, by his crucifixion, we are healed and we experience the peace that he promises. You know, during the siege of Sarajevo, the almost 14,000 people died in just those 1,400 days. And the, in that war in and of itself, as it, as it raged all over the area, over 100,000 people lost, lost their lives, and the casualties included civilians as well as, well as soldiers. And, and in 1995, there was a peace treaty that was signed that ended that war but that peace didn't last for very long. Just a few years later, another group of people rose up against the government and 
rebelled and that war ravaged that area of the world. And if you look at pictures of Bosnia, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. There's these mountains and these beautiful crystal clear rivers, but it has been ravaged by war. Even though there was a peace treaty to end it, it's continued. Estimations that there's, and I think this is a, a low number, there's a hundred, over 150 million people have lost their lives in war. I think that's low, definitely on the low end of, of, of deaths in, in human history and wars, but, but that's the, the estimation that I found in Wikipedia, and you can trust Wikipedia. It's, it's like gospel. There's over a thousand peace treaties that have been signed between, between nations and peoples and tribes. Over a thousand peace treaties have been signed. And still today, today, there are estimated upwards of 50 recognized conflicts that are happening in our country. Today. It's estimated that today, over 2 billion people live in areas that are currently affected by conflict. Areas that are affected by war in our world today. contrast the gospel is a treaty that says Christ is our king and Christ's death paid the penalty of our rebellion and his resurrection ushers in an everlasting peace between us between God and us an everlasting peace between God and his creation who rebelled against him who warred against him but he paid the price for that peace we could have treaties between nations fail the gospel never fails and Christ did the work on the cross and offered his life as a sacrifice to bring us peace and the invitation listen to me the invitation to trust in the gospel that we had displayed for us this morning the invitation that that brought peace the invitation to trust in the gospel and experience the promise of peace and the power of peace is extended to each and every one of us today person of peace who paid the price for our peace. Listen to that again. The invitation of the gospel to experience the promise of peace and the power of peace is extended to every one of us. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done or haven't done, no matter how many times you have or haven't been to church in the past year or all your life, no matter what you find yourself in the midst of, the promise of peace and the power of peace is extended to you by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that by the person of peace, you can experience that peace because he paid the price for that peace. This morning as the band comes, we're going to close a little bit differently. Because I'm going to close in prayer and then rather than responding initially with through song, they're gonna, we're going to sing the song together, but I'm going to give us a time of reflection as I just read some passages of scripture over us that tell and remind us of the peace that came through the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be just a moment for you to just reflect on what God's word says about the peace that is offered for us. And so I, I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray and then we're going to uh, pray with me and then you're just going to, in, in your own way as you respond, maybe it's head bowed, maybe you just lift your eyes and I, I would ask you to stay in your seats for just a, a moment. The band's going to begin to play, but I just want to read these passages to you as a time of response for us this morning. And give us a chance just to be reminded of the peace that God has offered us, the power of that peace, and the price that was paid for 
on the cross for us to experience that peace. So pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for time to be able to gather and celebrate the peace that was, that was paid for by your life being laid down on the cross. And we pray that, God, you would open our eyes to places that we are putting our hope in, in finding peace in other things, whether it's relationships or alcohol or drugs or, or, or finding extra time, whatever it is, success, God, whatever we think that we're going to find peace in, God, I hope that, God, you would shatter all of those things and remind us that peace is only found.